Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 in Matthew chapter 6. The title, I've titled the message today, Careful Compassion, and that's not the best title for that message, but it, it will work. It'll be okay, and uh, I hope you'll understand. All right, y'all finish zooming up there. We're all out of sync today. Uh, It's not often that you have an exact match from personal life to a passage that you're preaching, but the passage that I'm going to be speaking on today, there is an almost exact perfect match uh, to something that recently happened. When we were in Nashville, over the Christmas holidays, we, we've gone to Nashville every year since we've lived here, and now, you know, coming up in just a few Sundays, it'll be 21 years for us. When we, we were in Nashville uh, visiting with Jan's mom, and uh, she received a Christmas letter from someone in the family. Now, you would not know this person, and if I ever thought that you might possibly know this person, I wouldn't use this illustration. Uh, they shared <clears throat> in their, how their lives had been going uh, for the year. You've gotten those Christmas letters, you know, where somebody give you a letter and this is what's happened and, and so forth and, and so on. And, and they're normally, you know, really good. And, uh, and in this letter, they, they shared how much charity work <clears throat> that they had done, uh, both home and abroad. And they talked about their, their work and uh, they were very descriptive of their work with with African children and how they had taken uh, two African children in uh, as uh, adopted in Africa, not uh, in their home, but uh, they adopted these children in Africa. And there were even pictures of them standing in Africa with these uh, two African boys. And they go on, went on and they spoke of the work that they were doing at home to help the poor in their area. And I I can give you one sentence that kind of summed up the whole thing. And I know you think I'm being judgmental, and I am. Uh, But but to be real honest with you, you'll get it. If I recall the wording, it was something like this. And I'm going to, it's better if you read it in the voice of Thurston Howell III. Even though we live in the wealthiest area of the U.S., there are still needy people around us. That was kind of the, <clears throat> the tenor of the entire thing. Now, seriously, really? Would you ever write that to me? Even though we live in the wealthiest, not just the wealthiest area in our town, but in the U.S., <clears throat> there was plenty of other news, too, about the exploits and the accomplishments of the family and so forth and so on. Now, <clears throat> I, I give you that illustration. Now I read you this text. Think about what I just shared as I read this. And remember your Christmas letters next year. Matthew 6 and verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be seen in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. 
Now, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 begins with the Beatitudes and uh, giving us instruction for the attitudes that we should have in life, the attitudes behind the actions of our lives. Chapter 6 gives us the actions that we should have with the right kind of attitude. So chapter 5 is a, an attitude chapter, and chapter 6 is an action chapter. And the attitude behind the action of our text is found in chapter 5 and verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When the act of mercy is missing the attitude of mercy, it becomes an act of arrogance. I want to say that again. When the act of mercy is missing the attitude of mercy, it becomes an act of arrogance. No one wants to be seen as being arrogant, especially when they're trying uh, or they think they're doing uh, merciful things. To that end, Jesus tells us how to proceed with our mercy, how to proceed with our compassion. First of all, we are to proceed with caution. Verse 1 again, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So we've got to beware of our attitudes as to uh, how we go carry out the mercy that we might uh, express through our lives or in our lives. We should be careful, we should be cautious about the attitude that backs up Uh, our actions. And we should be cautious about making sure that our attitudes do not block our actions. Sometimes we have an attitude that might block our action. Give you a for instance. Sometimes Christian people become cynical about a cause because we have a knowledge of certain contributions to that cause. And Christian people can become cynical. I remember being in New York with some of our NFC students attending the Broadway, and we attended a Broadway uh, play while the NFC students were there. It was the Lion King. And at the close of the, the play, the cast came out on stage for their curtain call. And then one of them asked everybody to be seated and took the microphone and <clears throat> began to talk about the efforts of Broadway and the Broadway uh, community to fight AIDS and to find the cures for AIDS and so on. And the proceeds from stuffed animals that they were selling at the concession stand were designed to help the cause of fighting AIDS. Now, let me just ask you a question. Be be honest with yourself. Given the truth of God's Word regarding immorality in general and homosexuality specifically, how would you feel about giving to the fight or to fight the scourge of AIDS in our world. When you think about a disease like AIDS, do you first think of the the horrible disease, or do you think of the horrible sins that might be associated, not always, but might be associated with it? Here's here's the the word of caution here regarding our uh, proceeding uh, with caution. We should not only proceed with caution in how we give, but we should proceed with caution in how we think about giving. Our knowledge of a sin should not harden us to the plight of a sinner, any sinner. 
if, if somebody has cirrhosis of the liver because they, they have been a heavy drinker all of their lives and, and they are now in serious trouble because of cirrhosis with the liver, there should not be one Christian person who says, well, they ask for it. We have to be very <clears throat> careful about, about becoming hardened to the, to the plight of sinners. Jesus is not suggesting that we withhold our compassion from the poor. He's not suggesting that we withhold our compassion from the sin-sick soul. Nothing about this passage from the Sermon on the Mount should cause anyone to think that Jesus would have us to be less or selectively less compassionate. I recall a song that we no longer sing. It was a great old song called Balm and Gilead. And here were the words to the chorus. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. The caution is in making sure that our motives match our actions, that we are indeed merciful. We should not withhold the hand of mercy, but we should be certain that our spirit of mercy matches the actions of mercy. I have here this morning our, our uh, area representative for the Florida Baptist Children's Home. A wonderful work. But the, the truth is that if, if we were involved in some of those families that resulted in some of those children coming there, if we weren't careful, we would lack some of the compassion that we ought to have. Because that familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. And the familiarity with certain sin <clears throat> breeds contempt. We must consider that our acts of compassion and gifts of encouragement are not acts between ourselves and other people, but between ourselves and God. That's what this whole thing is talking about. When you do an act of mercy towards someone, an act of compassion towards someone, that is not <clears throat> just between you and that person. That is an act toward God. Just like tithing to the church is actually giving to God a tenth of all that he prospers us, doing good for others is an act of love and worship to God. Whenever you do that which is good for someone else, consider it an act of worship before God. <clears throat> it is not a demonstration of our prosperity. It is not a demonstration of our magnanimous heart. It is not a demonstration of our our philanthropic nature. It is, a, it is a demonstration toward God. Lance Armstrong this week came out and, and told what everybody knew regarding his, his uh, uh, doping situation. And uh, Oprah Winfrey interviewed him, and, and she, I, I think I get the two words right. She said, if, if I were to if I were to de describe you uh, as a jerk or a philanthropist, which would it be? <clears throat> Something along those lines. And she said both. He said both. I've always thought it kind of an unusual thing when a philanthropist would refer to themselves as a philanthropist. <clears throat> if we're a Christian, that which we do that is good toward others is done toward God. It may benefit others, but it's done toward God. 
We're to proceed with caution because whatever acts of kindness and compassion we do, the gifts of mercy and benevolence are gifts before God to be seen and rewarded by Him. Did you get that? I can go and fly over that whole thing again, but I think it's pretty clear. Whenever you do something good for other people, whenever you do some act of kindness, whenever you put put money in the Salvation Army box, whenever you, uh, if you're taking, uh, and, and most people take stuff to goodwill to get rid of it, but if you're taking stuff to goodwill for the purpose of giving it to other people or making it available in the work that they do, understand <clears throat> that what we're looking at is an act toward God. That's the important thing. So first of all, proceed with caution. Here, secondly, proceed with contrition. Verse 2 says, thus when, you, <clears throat> thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may pray, be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When I was in seminary, I participated in a, a men's a cappella choir. We were called the Singing Men of Temple. And it was conducted by that lady you see sitting there, Mrs. Fred Brown. And her husband, Dr. Fred Brown, was a well-known evangelist who had literally conducted meetings all over the world. He actually, uh, if, if you'll think about him, he was a protege at one time of Dr. Billy Graham. This man that, that you see on the screen right now actually led the late Dr. Adrian Rogers to the Lord that man right there. His wife was the director of Singing Men of Temple. And one Christmas, Mrs. Brown invited all of us guys over to their home for an evening with she and Dr. Brown. And we had just heard a guy speak in a series of chapels there at, our, uh, at the seminary and the Bible college and university and so on. We just heard a guy speak a series of messages, and this guy had committed to memory the entire uh, New Testament and a lot of the Old Testament. I mean, this guy had it all, and as he was speaking, he, he would just rattle off verse after verse after verse, and he could quote chapters, and it was just amazing, and, and because we were all some sort of, of ministry wannabes, uh, we were just amazed at that, and so when we got to that uh, gathering that night over at Dr. Brown's house, uh, we kind of gathered around him and began asking him a lot of questions, and I remember that one guy asked this question. He said, Dr. Brown, how many verses do you think so-and-so has memorized? Do you think he knows how many <clears throat> verses he has memorized? And, and I, I'll never forget his response. He said, you never ask someone that question. You never ask that. Because as soon as they tell you, they lose the blessing of the memorization. That's between themselves and God. And as soon as they share it with you, then on some level they've done it to be seen of men. There are quite a few things in life for which recognition is appropriate, but not all recognition is created equal. We want to be recognized for our <clears throat> career achievements, but we should draw the line at bringing attentions to those offerings that we gave as to the Lord. We shouldn't want recognition for those things that we offered to the Lord. Career recognition, <clears throat> fine. 
All giving, good deeds, and other Christian kindness should be accomplished with a, a humble and a contrite heart. And Dr. Brown was right. Here's why Dr. Brown was right. First of all, he was right because of what it means to have public praise. Whether or not there was actually a practice of sounding a trumpet before someone gave money for the poor is not certain. But the picture this illustration paints is quite vivid. This is the picture of someone who wants to be noticed for what they have and how they give it. They want to be noticed for that. Let me pull off to the side here. It's probably okay to recognize the million-dollar donors at the center of Bobby Bowden Field at Doak Campbell Stadium on game day. It's probably okay to recognize them. I, I think it would probably be okay. I don't know whether it is or not. I think it's probably okay. I don't have a quarrel with that. I, and I know plenty of people have been recognized. And, and I, I, I just, I think that setting and that situation and that, that whole thing is probably fine. However, I doubt that anybody here wants your giving trumpeted this morning during offering time. I doubt if, if, and we're going to have kid ushers today, but if we had our regular ushers, I doubt that as we went down the aisle that, that uh, uh, you'd want uh, to hear somebody in the aisle say, hey, wait a minute, Tom LaDuke just gave. Let's hear it for Tom. All right, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, wait, uh, Don Bragg didn't give, but Leslie did today. Let's hear it for Leslie. <clears throat> Okay, we, uh, we're so happy that the Todd's, it looks like the Todd's, they've got a big old fat offering they put in there today, looks really good. That's not, nobody in here would want that. Nobody would want that. But that's kind of what's being talked about here in our text. I'm sure you remember the story of the widow's mite, the, the widow who gave two copper coins at the temple offering, and Jesus stopped the process as she was giving she gave the two coins and, and he stopped it. He said, stop, stop, wait, <clears throat> stop. And then he said something about her. Now, what was so unique about the amount of money that she gave? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, it represented all that she had. That was one of the things. And, <clears throat> and he noticed it and he made reference to it. Nobody else did and she didn't have it done. But there was more to giving than the, the amount or the proportionate there was, there was more. Here's, here's a, the, the verse in Mark chapter 12 and 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Now the King James Version says that he watched how they gave. And the reason that the King James Version interprets it that way is because the word watched there in verse 41 in the original language means to look intently it means to gaze it means watch very closely you could have easily said <clears throat> he sat over against the treasury opposite the treasury and he watched very closely the people putting money in he watched how they gave now look he was interested in the how not just the what and so we have to be cautious about that. 
We want to be cautious in how we give. Is it important what we give? Yes. This isn't a message on tithing, but I, I don't believe that we can give to the Lord until at least we, we uh, pay back to the Lord that which he said is, is uh, to, to quote uh, famous current words, our fair share. A tithe. <clears throat> I don't even think we can give back to the Lord until we do that. But there's beyond that, there's how we give. If we give for public praise, then we're not giving to the Lord. If we do good for others for public praise, then we're not giving to the Lord. That's why our compassion has to be careful. In fact, when we do give for public praise, we experience private loss. We can't allow ourselves to overlook the phrase, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus will give the same insight into praying and fasting as we finish up the Sermon on the Mount. When the, we trumpet the deeds that are done before God, we, we don't lose our reward, we just lessen our reward. Notice again that the verse said, they have received their reward. It didn't say they get no reward, it said they've already received their reward. Trumpeting or giving is is not without reward, but the reward is shallow. The, the reward, quite frankly, is as shallow as that letter my mother-in-law received. It's, it's shallow when compared to giving the right way. The letter that my mother-in-law received had reward associated with it. There was reward there. Sadly, that reward was no more than the satisfaction that the writer got in writing it. That's all the reward that was available. I will not sit in further judgment, but do know that God knows how we give, and God knows why we give. Let me share something with you that I think about every single Sunday, and and I can't think of a Sunday that I haven't thought about this. At offering time, during the prayer, here's, here's what I do. You may have not noticed it, but I've done this for so long that you don't notice it. You'll probably notice it today, since I'm talking about it. At offering time, during the prayer, I walk down those steps, and I stand right down front there where the first usher is. And I take my offering envelope, and I, I put that in there, my offering envelope in. Now, I have given something in, in that manner for the 40 years of ministry that, that I've been in, in ministry. Yet I still be <clears throat> fear being misinterpreted. I still fear it. I, I'm, I'm afraid that people are going to think, well, Pastor Ray makes a show of his giving. I honestly am afraid of that. There's, there's two things <clears throat> in regard to the, to the way that I give, if you will. First of all, uh, to me, this is something like going to the altar. No one should be too proud to come to the altar at invitation time. And no one should be too proud to give humbly. However, as it is with anything, <clears throat> there is a fine line between the humility to go and the need to show. The, the act of worship, and the worship of giving, is something that is a privilege uh, 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 as mine to practice. 
The only other aspect of that, and, and I'm just being as honest as I know how to be here, is to remove any shadow of a doubt as to whether or not Pastor Ray is asking you to do something that he doesn't do. I'm just being real frank with you because people can, can get a little cynical sometimes and they say, well, I don't ever see him putting uh, anything in the offering plate. But it's a fine line there. And, and it's a very careful thing. And, to, and whenever I step down during the prayer, and some of you, during the prayer today, some of you are going to be like this. <clears throat> when I step down during the prayer and I put my offering in there, it is, it is not to be seen. Quite frankly, it's to participate with the rest of you. It's like receiving the Lord's table and so on. I don't want to lose my reward. I don't want to, to I want to give humbly to the Lord. And that's the way that we should all give. We should give humbly to the Lord. So we ought to proceed in our giving with caution. We ought to proceed with contrition. And then we ought to proceed with care. Verse 3 says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now this is a verse that gets a lot of discussion. Does that mean that we should not have public offerings? Well, Pastor Ray, you're preaching about that. Then why do we even have public offerings? Why, why do we go through that? Well, part of the reason that you go through that is that to give is to worship the Lord. It's an act of worship. <clears throat> we don't, we don't uh, is this verse saying that we shouldn't have a, a public offering? I don't believe that it is. The next time when we talk about uh, praying, and we'll do that next Sunday, We'll look at the, the book on prayer. There'll be an admonition for private prayer. But private prayer doesn't prevent us from praying publicly. There are those who feel this way on both counts. However, I think they're missing the intent of the passage. Jesus is telling us how to give because he watches how we give. <clears throat> Don't forget that in Acts chapter 4, everyone knew that Barnabas sold his house and he gave the amount that he had received to the, in the offering collected by the church. Everybody knew that. Everyone in the church knew this. It was recorded in Scripture as an example of giving. However, Barnabas didn't make an act or a show of his worship, or of his giving. He gave it to God. And the church received the benefit, and he received the blessing. Besides, the whole church was giving in that offering. And they were laying their offerings in some sort of a, a basket at the, at the disciples' feet. But hey, they proceeded, yet they proceeded with care. We should proceed with care in how we give. Let me give you an illustration. Here's a picture of my youngest son and his wife. This is Paul and Lindsay. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about the idea of not letting the, the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Uh, that, that goes with some kind of a sense of modesty that we should accomplish stewardship and <clears throat> benevolence and acts of kindness and so on. Several months ago, Jan and I, Spent the weekend with our son and daughter-in-law over in Jacksonville. We went over to, <clears throat> to see them. And one of the reasons that we went over to see them is because they wanted us to come to their church. You, you don't think about this uh, very much. I think about it a lot. Uh, usually, um, there, people do not have a lot of uh, sense of abandon on the weekends. They're, you know, well, we got a weekend. We got a long, like this is a long weekend. 
<clears throat> we got a long weekend. We can travel. We can go. We can do. And, and, so, and, and usually Sunday is, is not always a consideration. That's just the way that it is. I'm not whining. It's just the truth. It's the world in which we live. However, it's not that way for me. I always have to think about Sundays. Always have to think about Sundays because I have to make sure that all the bases are covered and so forth and so on. Well, they really want us to come to their church. And I would almost never do that. Almost never would I leave this church just to go somewhere and just go to church. But I thought, you know something, they are faithful Christians and they are faithful members of that church and, and I'm just going to go over there. And, I, and so Jan and I went over there and, and we visited, uh, we attended their church and enjoyed being a part of the congregation. Afterward, we just ran to grab something quick for lunch. I think we went to Jersey Mike's or something like that. And there was a family who had joined the church that Sunday morning and that family came in to uh, Jersey Mike's. And we had already gotten our meal and we were sitting there and, and they had stayed later because people were coming by and shaking their hands and so on. And so they, they came in and, and, uh, and I said, Mike, uh, uh, <clears throat> Paul, I think that's the, uh, uh, the couple of the family, had a, a couple of young children. I said, I think that's the family that joined the church this morning. And uh, he uh, looked around and they came by and sure enough it was. He said, hey, how y'all doing? And <clears throat> they said, great. And so uh, they, they went on and, and uh, they got in line. Jersey Mike's, you order, and it wasn't a Jersey Mike's, it was that kind of a place. <clears throat> so they got in line and, and uh, we were sitting down there and, and eating. And after a couple of minutes, uh, Paul excused himself. They were still standing in line. Paul excused himself and, and uh, he went over and stood in front of them in line. He literally got in front of them. And, uh, and uh, Paul is 20, I think 28 years old. <clears throat> so he got in front of them in line and he said something like this. He said, I'm really glad that y'all joined our church today. And I know this isn't a fancy place, but would you please let me buy your family's lunch today? And so he bought their lunch. And I mean, they were kind of, they said, no, no, you don't have to. He said, no, I understand that. I just want to do it. I'm glad y'all are part of our church. I hope you love our church. And, and he just did that. And, he, and I kind of knew what was going on, and I kind of had an eye on him. And he came back, and he, and he sat down, and it wasn't, with him, it wasn't a, um, a show or anything. He didn't come back and make a big announcement about what he had done. He just came back and sat down. I want to tell you something. And I could, he doesn't lose his reward because his dad's talking about it, uh, <clears throat> you know. Now, if he were standing up here saying, and I did that, but I'm probably losing the reward. But... Uh, <clears throat> He came back and sat down. I thought to myself, I am so proud of him. You remember that, Jan, when he did that? I, I thought, I am so proud of him. That was the coolest thing. That was the neatest thing to do. And, and I think that's how we are to proceed carefully and, and prayerfully. The matter of, of compassionate giving should include giving, and it should include thoughtful giving. And, and we ought to think about that. We ought to think about what it means to give. We ought to think about what it means to, to be in a restaurant and, and see someone who may be, and I'm not trying to put you in a box, but, but see someone who maybe has visited our church and, and see if you can pick up their meal or, or whatever it may be. But do it not to them, but as unto the Lord. That's the key thing. 
So we are to proceed with caution and with contrition and to proceed carefully, but finally we should proceed with confidence so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you give in a way that is appropriately private with contrition to God and the, you have the assurance that God will bless us. The King James Version says He will reward you openly. Whether it's tithing or obedience to God or <clears throat> in, in some other way or living a, a personally generous life, God has promised to reward the one who gives in the right way and with the right spirit. There are a lot of promises regarding that. Let me just read a couple of them for you. Malachi 3 and verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, uh, will be put into your lap. For the same measure you use it will be measured back to you. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Certainly what we give is important, but even more important is how we give it and in what setting we give it. Giving to the church or to the poor or to missions or whatever it may be, should be done with contrition and humility and done as before the Lord. Whether it's Paul jumping in line in front of this family at Jersey Mike's, or whether it's you dropping a tithing envelope in this morning, or whether it's you helping with some other thing that you're doing, you can do it for recognition. You certainly can. Today, as we're doing the offering, you can hold up your, plate, your, your offering envelope, and you can, you can say if you want to, I'm not going to stop you. You can say if you want to, want everybody to know, <clears throat> laying down some big dollars in church this morning. You can do that if you want to. And I'll tell you this, we'll deposit it and spend it. <clears throat> you know what else? That's all the rewards you get. That's it. No more. You got what you wanted. <clears throat> That's fine. However, if today you give your offering and, and you say, Lord, we've come to the offering time and I don't give this because it feels bad to do it or because I'm guilty to do it. Lord, I love you and I worship you. And when I give this offering today, Lord, I want you to know that while I wrote the check out to the church, the gift is to you. And your father who sees it will say, there's a reward. There is a reward. Reina Garcia is a young wife and mother of two children, young children. She's also a full-time nanny for two other children. And she leads a very busy life, but her favorite part of the day is when she goes out to rock somebody's world. And the word rock is spelled R-A-O-K, and it stands for Random Acts of Kindness. She likes to rock 
people's world. She and her husband, Aaron, are part of a growing network of Christians who seek to anonymously bless other people in the name of Jesus. And that's what she does. She loves to rock somebody's world. For instance, here's some of the ideas. In the, and they have a group uh, that that's, they just like to rock people's world. Paying for the person behind you at the drive-thru. You ever, you ever done that? You ever had somebody do that, pay for the person behind you? <clears throat> I've paid for people behind me. At, I paid for parking for the people behind me and, and, and so on. When, when my sons were following me in their cars and uh, <clears throat> yeah I've got these two cars behind me too there was no reward in that I can just tell you <clears throat> right now <clears throat> but sometimes you can do that or uh, leaving grocery gift cards in mailboxes that's what they do Paying the rent for a family in need. They do stuff like that. Handing out water or sports drinks on a biking trail. Any number of things. How powerful could our lives, could your life and mine be, if we sought for God to do a, a motive overhaul in our lives? Everything that we do, overhaul our motives, Lord. Completely overhaul our motives. Today, the challenge from the Sermon on the Mount can be summed up in the final phrase of verse 4, where it says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? I'm going to ask you today to put perspective. I'm going to certainly ask you to do good things, but put the mercy behind the merciful acts. Do those things from your heart as to the Lord and not unto men. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray, lchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.